34 million. 36 million now. At 36 million. To me, the auction is sometimes a sexual agon. You know, there is that kind of like, you know, Freudian, very strong primal necessity to win over the other. So you can say, without any doubt, this is the most important value of portrait at that time ever to come up for public sale. And we knew that the market would obviously be very excited about it. Kunstmarkt ist die reinste Form von Markt. The art market is the free market system in its purest form. Any price is possible. Dann ist jeder Preis möglich. My name is Johannes Michelmann and this is the fourth episode of Finding Van Gogh. This podcast series is about the history of the last portrait painted by Vincent van Gogh before his death, the portrait of Dr. Gachet. This painting has been missing from the public eye for almost 30 years. The portrait of Dr. Gachet was last seen at a Christie's auction in New York. The final sale price was $82.5 million. Adjusted, that's about $149 million today. With this sale, the portrait of Dr. Gachet, which had switched owners a total of 13 times, made art market history. The auction 30 years ago represented the peak of an art market boom and the beginning of an era of price explosions that lasted until today. We want to know what went down in the portrait's last known hours and what happened afterwards. In the morning of May 15th, 1990, the participants of the auction are unaware of the dramatic scenes that will unfold later on that day. The auctioneer is Christopher Birch. At this point, he has been working at Christie's for 20 years, so it's safe to say he's pretty experienced in this field. I would have got up probably pretty early that morning and I wouldn't have slept. I always needed quiet time on the day of the sale. And I would usually start practicing the sale at probably as early as noon or maybe even 11. I'd sometimes go and walk up and down Park Avenue taking bids. I mean, not from people, actually just going through the sale in my head. All eventualities of what might happen on every lot. I absolutely hated taking auctions. I was incredibly nervous. Exit here for Tate Britain. This is a Victoria Line train to Brixton. It's February 2019. 11 o'clock in the morning. I am in London, on my way to the world of the super-rich. Tonight, Christie's Auction House is selling work by world-famous artists for its first big sale of this year. Cézanne, Renoir, Signac, and a portrait of a prostitute painted by Van Gogh in 1885. The last owner was an American who remains anonymous. His collection is now up for auction at Christie's. I'm keen to find out for just how many millions this particular painting by Van Gogh will be sold for tonight. It's still pretty quiet here at 8 King Street in a well-to-do district of the city. A red flag waves over the entrance, bearing the famous Christie's name. You can already feel a sense of tension in the halls, even though there are still hours to wait until the auction begins. It's something like being in a theatre just hours before the big premiere. Dirk Ball, the head of the auction house here, sits in his office. Can you tell me why the auction tonight is so special? 
This is one of the largest auctions for a company like Christie's. That means the potential profit is high and the quality of the items is very high. The expectations of the public, the audience and the collectors are similarly very high and there's a considerable amount of pressure on the company to deliver the best results. How would you define large? What would constitute a small or a huge auction? A small auction would include, for example, an online-only auction of graphics that have a potential profit of about a half a million to a million dollars. That would be a small auction. A large auction would include the evening auctions in New York of art made after 1945, with sales between a half a billion and about 750 million. Those are large auctions. Tonight, we're in the range of about 200 million British pounds, so that's what I consider to be a larger auction. Can you always be sure that you will sell a Van Gogh piece? Is he a bestseller? Well, you can never be entirely sure, unless someone submitted a pre-auction bid in advance by basically informing us ahead of time that they will buy the piece at a specific price. But you can never know for sure and that's what makes it even more exciting. I assure you will sell this piece tonight. Like I said, you can't tell. So you haven't received any pre-auction bits? <laughs> right, I guess that's a secret. I imagine Dirk Ball at the end of the evening, surrounded by bags of cash, sitting at his desk, typing his profits into a calculator. But that's probably not the way things go anymore. First you have to become qualified, because we're of course obligated to assure our sellers that when we auction something off, the buyer will actually be able to pay the price. That means you would have to be either one of our regulars or a newcomer who's already gone through a kind of know-your-client process, just like you would if you would want to open up a bank account. It's also not like I can just bid in the auction tonight. So... The 1885 Van Gogh will definitely not be coming home with me, even if I wanted it. Especially since the painting is expected to fetch between 8 and 12 million pounds. So if someone buys a piece for several millions of dollars, they just get a bill? Yes. Like a restaurant receipt that just says 50 million, please? Well, it's basically a PDF file. You'll receive the bill the next day with bank details and you can just transfer the amount in question. It makes sense that the whole process is pretty ordinary. I guess I just pictured something more exciting when it comes to numbers so steep. Dirk Ball glances at his watch, possibly wondering why he, as the head of one of the most important auction houses in the world, has to break down the ABCs of the business for me. He probably has better things to do on this particular day, a day when he expects to make hundreds of millions of pounds. So I ask him just one last question. Of course, I already know that he won't be able to give me an answer. The business is all about discretion. Um, where is Dr. Gachet Gache at the moment? If I knew, would you like to know where it is or do you not really care? If I knew, I wouldn't tell you. Would it interest you to know or do you ultimately just see it as one of many works of art? To be honest, it's of course a very special piece that has caused a great stare. I would love to see it again one day. So you have seen it before? I've seen it before, yes. When and where? 
in 1990. Were you at the auction too? I hadn't worked for Christie's yet. I was just a spectator. I wasn't at the auction, but I was at the preview. Before such a prominent artwork is auctioned, it's exhibited for potential bidders at a sort of preview event. Van Gogh's portrait of the prostitute that will be auctioned tonight has already toured the world Beijing, Shanghai, Taipei, LA, and finally London. This is pretty normal for auctions. The purchase of Dr. Gachet in May of 1990, however, played out entirely differently. Nothing was normal. Ah, yes, we're stuck in a little, Hello. little hutch here. Yeah. Hello, Johannes. Nice to meet you. Hello. Christopher Birch tells me the whole story. He was chairman at Christie's in New York, is now retired and has returned to his home country of Great Britain. He was kind enough to meet me in London. We are sitting in a conference room at the Christie's headquarters. His suit sits perfectly. He places a leather briefcase on the floor next to him and continually slides his glasses back into place with one of his fingers. For over 50 years, the portrait of Dr. Gachet was in the possession of the Kramarski family. Six years before the auction, Lola Kramarski fell seriously ill. And as a result, her family decided to shelter the painting in the Metropolitan Museum in New York. There, the portrait was displayed in large-scale exhibitions until Lola's children decided it should be sold. One of those children is Wynne Kramarski. Let's start at the date when you and Wynne Kramarski, I guess, discussed selling it. We, we knew the family quite well, and, and we knew Wynne and his mother, of course, who had lived with the picture for all those years. I don't honestly remember what triggered the sale of the picture, except that a number of important works by Van Gogh had recently been sold. There had been the famous sale at that time of the, of the sunflowers uh, in Christie's London, which had set this extraordinary new price of nearly $40 million. It was well established that the great Van Goghs were going to bring very, very high prices. Also, it was a very, very hot moment in the art market. We had an enormous amount of interest, from, particularly from Japan, in the market at that time. Uh, we had some very active American buyers, and prices were very, very high. And I think there was generally some concern that this wasn't going to last forever. We had a very strong stock market at the time. Prices were extraordinarily high. And I think there was a general worry that the bubble might burst. And I think all of those things, the family decided this was a very good moment to put it up for public sale. By the way, the sunflowers were bought by a Japanese insurance company. One of Van Gogh's other paintings, Iris, was also sent to Japan for $53.9 million. The art trade boomed in Japan. That's where the strongest buyers were. Between 1987 and 1990, one-third of Impressionist works sold on the art market were purchased in Japan. At that point in time, the yen, the Japanese currency, was extremely strong. How did this painting get from the museum to your office? Interesting question. Um, uh, um, I took it. <laughs> you just took it? I just took it. You I went, went to took the it off the wall and I just... <laughs> no, we obviously set up with the museum that sadly we were going to take this off their walls. And so I went with art handlers and security and, and, a, and, and a special special truck to, to pick it up. And we collected it from the loading dock at the museum and drove it the 20 blocks or so from the museum to Christie's offices on in those days on Park Avenue in New York. 
I've read the story that you took a cap to bring this painting. No, that's not true. No, I, uh, there were times in my life where I, many years before, where we, we had been allowed by our insurers to actually take paintings in taxis when we were taking them to a, to a photographer or delivering them to a client. But no, that was not the case. Uh, what I've learned, it's very unusual that you bring a painting directly from the wall of the museum to the auction house, isn't it? It's not a daily occurrence. It's not a normal occurrence. And for a painting of this importance, I can't remember another one where that's happened, no. Why was it so special? Well, uh, this was my field, Impressionist and Modern Painting, and, and, and my colleagues around the world and I have obviously spent a lifetime working with paintings in this field, not just Van Gogh. And so this had always been you know, one of the, the most extraordinary paintings by the artist that w we knew was um, of great importance. We never assumed until it happened that it was going to come up for sale. We didn't assume that. Um, so it was, it was you know, rather almost a shock. You know, nothing like this really this important by Van Gogh, apart from the sunflowers, had been sold probably for 30 or 40 years. Uh, no major portrait, in fact, in living memory at auction. So you can say, without any doubt, this is the most important Van Gogh portrait at that time ever to come up for public sale. And we knew that the market would obviously be very excited about it. As before any large auction, the piece was to be exhibited to all potential buyers around the world, But this time, there was one catch. The Kromarskis family didn't want the painting to possibly be damaged on a global tour. And this is why instead of embarking on the journey itself, the painting was videotaped and the footage was sent out. However, they did make one exception. One of the prime collectors for this, one of the people we thought most likely to bid on this, called us up and said, I can't come to New York. I would like to see the painting. So we went and talked to Wynne and other members of the family and said, look, I know we can't travel the painting. However, I do think it's extremely important that this particular collector sees the painting. And so would it be all right if I and the painting and security took the painting on a very short trip, actually to Switzerland, where the collector could see it and then bring it back? And so they thought about it and they said, yes, okay, as long as... The insurers are happy with it, it's, it's professionally packed and all the rest of it. But <laughs> because of the painting, I got to fly first class in one seat and the painting in the next door seat and strapped in. I was actually collected getting off the steps of the aircraft and stepped straight into a, a van with more security. Wow, like and the president. We, I yes. know, it's incredibly impressive. And we drove it into our offices there and awaited the client. And he spent a long time looking at it. He looked at it and he looked at it and he looked at it and he thanked us and he went away and he never bid on it <laughs> <laughs> completely useless your trip completely useless but there's one thought I just can't seem to get out of my head this collector in Switzerland has apparently been watching Dr. Gachet observing him for a while what can he see that I can't how does one really observe art like a pro in Cologne, I arranged to meet with journalist and Van Gogh expert Stefan Kolderhoff. He knows the collectors and has a trained eye. 
Wie gehen Sie auf so ein Bild? How do you approach such a piece? Would you just stare at it for hours and observe every pigment, every detail? How do your eyes consume a painting? When I visit an exhibition, I first walk through it very, very superficially to get a general overview of what's there and how it's displayed. Then I'll approach some of the pieces while still glancing at them from a certain distance because I know that many artists painted in a way that isn't to be examined with a magnifying glass from 10 centimeters, but were rather looking to convey a certain type of effect. Then I might get a bit closer and start paying more attention to specific features. Und dann gäb's bestimmt bestimmte Partien, die ich mir genau angucken würde. Mich interessiert bei Van Gogh immer, wie er die Augen gemacht hat. With Van Gogh, I typically like to take a look at how he did the eyes. Funny thing is that if you take a look at his portraits, he pretty much always fails with the ears. They always look horrible, like a slab of meat or a piece of cauliflower. I often have the feeling that the hat of Dr. Gachet isn't sitting on his head properly. I would love to see in front of the original painting why I get that impression. Und dann wär's das aber then, nach zehn Minuten. After 10 minutes, that would probably be it. Der ganze Trubel für zehn Minuten dann, ja. All that fast for 10 minutes. Immerhin, dafür lebt man auch. Wow, that's what we live for. Incidentally, Stefan Koldorf seems to have his doubts that the portrait of Dr. Gachet was shown to only one collector outside of New York. Christie's run a huge PR campaign. They sent the piece around the whole world and even told collectors that if they were interested, they could hang it up in their own apartments to see if it fits. I thought it actually wasn't allowed to travel around the world. From what I know, it only traveled once to Switzerland. Well, I know at least two people who have had it in their homes. Why would Christie's make up such a story? Why did Birch tell me the painting had only been with one person? That beats me. I mean, he must remember the true story. But maybe they didn't want to scare off current buyers with whom they already had agreements to adhere to. But I have very official sources. Ich weiß es verbindlich. The art market is very sensitive. The Christie's PR campaign included a special catalog dedicated entirely to the portrait of Dr. Gachet, a hardcover book that elaborates on the portrait's history and distinctive character. But an essential chapter of the story is left out. I remember what art historian and author Cynthia Salzman told me when I visited her in New York. She showed me the catalog. When I looked at the catalog, they described the history of the painting. The very last sentence of this history of the painting, they say, Portrait of Dr. Gachet was deaccessioned by the museum in Frankfurt prior to the Second World War and acquired by Siegfried Kramarski. When I read this sentence, I realized this could not be true, that this painting must have been one of the paintings confiscated by the Nazis as what they called degenerate art. Nobody in the press picked up on this because that whole subject of Nazi looting just was not in the news. Well, I think people didn't want to talk about it in the art world because it would have put a taint on this painting. In 1990, the Nazi confiscation of art during the Second World War was not yet a topic of public debate. Christie's presumably excluded the role of the Third Reich in the painting's complex history from the catalogue, so as not to put off potential bias. Back in London, 
now is the last chance for potential buyers of Van Gogh's portrait of a prostitute to preview the work before the auction tonight. It's hanging on the wall in an octagon-shaped exhibition space in the auction hall. Well-dressed visitors, of which very few seem to be tourists, stroll across the room. Some take pictures, others take notes. I wonder, will any of these people be the one to take home the Van Gogh tonight? You don't really know. Just as my colleagues have an auction going on tonight, as you know, here in London, they don't really know until probably an hour or two's time who is really going to do what or who is not going to do what. It's right up to the last minute when you actually know if somebody will bid or not. It could be the decision between buying a painting for a very large sum of money or having dinner with a friend. It's really that critical at the market. In a, in a way, in, in a way it is. It's a very old market because we're dealing with a relatively small group of people compared to you know, manufacturing markets of hundreds of thousands or millions of people. I mean, how many people in the world could seriously be interested in this picture? There are plenty of people who could afford it. I mean, there are plenty of billionaires and multimillionaires. But when you get down to it, what is the universe of collectors who under some sort of circumstance could bid on a picture like that? And the answer is probably a maximum of 50 people. And then when you get down to nearer to the auction, you're probably talking of only 10 of them who are still showing interest. And then you get down to the auction itself and maybe you've, you know three are going to go for it, but you don't know if number four and number five will. And each choice is personal. It's not like buying, you know, another Ferrari of the same model. This is an extraordinary, unique, creative object. You, you can't say, I'll buy another one like it, because there isn't another one. The exhibition space in London is to be cleared in a few minutes, since the auction tonight will take place in this room. The paintings are removed carefully from the wall and rows of seats and lecterns are set up in the space. A large screen slides down from the ceiling, upon which the artworks will be projected, with prices displayed in pounds, dollars, euros, Russian rubles and Swiss francs. As I mentioned earlier, events at the auctions of Dr. Gachet in 1990 happened a bit differently. Back then they used a currency converter to display all the prices. In fact, two days before the sale, we thought we better do a run-through and we thought, because we'd never been up that high, we ought to run the currency converter. And so I pretended to bid and I was going, you know, 40 million, 41 million, 42 million, and it got to 50 million and it exploded. It just exploded into smithereens. But it exploded because of technical problems or really because it was too we, too much? We love to think it was just too much for it. It just yeah, couldn't just handle Just keep the story like this. It couldn't handle this. <laughs> 50 million. Oof. 50 million. I wonder if the Van Gogh will bring in that much tonight. Giovanna Vettazzoni is in the exhibition room, glued to her smartphone, but she kindly grants me a few minutes of her time. She is the international head of the department for Impressionist and Modern Art. I'm up at six because we have to meet with all the specialists very early to have the first analysis of interest. It's an incredibly busy day. You catch me as I am intensely running around and trying to see all the clients before we have the final hours before the evening sale tonight. When you put together an auction, you work for time, sometimes for 10, 15 years on one painting 
and then some others come the day of the sale. Now, we're in a very interesting phase of the market now for this segment, 1850 to 1950, because a lot of big collections which were put together in the 60s and 70s are coming to the market, clearly, because it's a generational passage, and the people who put them together are 80, 90, they are at the end of their collecting cycle, they're doing estate planning, and they have to decide what to do with it, so they sell. And they never sold these works here that you see around me. Most of them, they're virgin to the market. They've never been up. And that's a great provenance. You know, there is an excitement about it because you want to have something that is pretty unique and, you know, comes to you from a very private source. What will you do? Do you just observe it tonight or what? Do you have a special job? Well, no, you observe it. I mean, I'm part of the play in that I will have some people on the phone, but every lot I will leave as if, you know, it's my own. Good luck for tonight. Thank you. In uh, about two hours, I'm yeah. going to attend my very first auction. So is there something I have to be I aware would, of? Don't consistently raise your hand. Um, just watch the auctioneer. Now think, see what he's doing. See if he's seeing any bids. See where the bids are really coming from. See how he encourages bidders. Good evening, good evening ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Christie's. The games begin. The hall is jam-packed and I feel a bit underdressed in my jeans and button-down shirt. The auctioneer stands behind his wooden podium, bends down and leans from left to right. There's a wall of art dealers standing on both sides next to him, talking to the clients for whom they'll be bidding on the phone. Some of them shield their mouths while they talk so that no one can read their lips. Other potential buyers sit in front of the podium. I squeeze my way through a few camera crews and members of the press right up to the barrier tape. Okay, so this room in particular has always very much transformed itself as sort of a theatre play because it's a relatively small room, it becomes very salon-like, the chairs have to be very close to us, the auctioneer is here and we're on the banks of the phone just like very close, you know, there is a, a sort of like moment of very strong focus. And it's a performance, you know, the auctioneer is really playing the orchestra. You know, we have a meeting before where we dissect every lot and we know exactly, he tells us, you come in at this point, you come in at this point. We tell him exactly, there is a very, very uh, careful choreography about where people are seated. You know, this is a ticketed event, you cannot seat where you want. So we know and we tell the auctioneer, look at first row, at this point you will look at fourth row, and then the moment of the auction, ten years of work come together. In one minute, I make it or break it. What could people see in your face and what was really going on? At the time of the auction? Yes. I absolutely hated taking auctions. I was incredibly nervous. I was paralysed with fear, is really the answer. I had a very stiff whisky before I got into the rostrum, as was my common practice. And frankly, I don't remember much about any auction I've ever taken. I get a, I get a splitting headache after I've finished. I would come out as if my head had been gripped in steel. Back in 1990, when Dr. Gachet was auctioned, I suppose no one really knew how Christopher Birch felt inside. 700 guests came to Christie's in New York for the auction. People from all around the world were in attendance. 
Europe, Asia, the US, everywhere. But for some reason, the mood in the room was somewhat muted. A Pissarro, a Sisley and a Cezanne all failed to reach their minimum bid and remained unsold. A nude by Renoir does get purchased, but for a price barely exceeding its minimum bid. The evening only really kicked off when lot number 21 was called. The portrait of Dr. Gachet. We had three or four bidders in there from fairly expected places. And we got up to 35 million, I think even to about 40 million, pretty quickly. And then suddenly everything stopped for a moment at 40 million. I think, well, it's all right. We've, you know, we've more or less what we... And then a bidder right at the back of the room raised his pen. 41 million. Thank you, sir. Back to the bidder who was at that point bidding on the telephone, on the right, very distinctive, our Swiss representative. 42 million. And then we just went at a very stately pace, up to 50 million, and we stopped. And at 50 million, the whole room burst into applause, I remember, which was sort of strange. And then we just carried on sort of almost relentlessly in $1 million bits. 51 million, 52 million, 53 million, 54 million, 55 million. There was a sort of collective sort of... Thank you for the bid, Michel. 2-4 will be next. 2-3 I have. Holding still here in the sale room. The beautiful Lorette on panel at 2,300,000. Selling here, Michel. It's an adrenaline that becomes addictive, but it's an addiction that you have to get rid of because it's really tough. To me, the auction is sometimes a sexual agon. You know, there is that kind of like, you know, Freudian, very strong primal necessity to win over the other. And that's why it's also very male-driven, I think. And then we finally got to 75 million and I looked at the telephone and looked and looked and looked and our representative talked and talked and talked and talked to the thing and no, finally it was no, definitely not. So... For you, sir, at the back, 75 million. And then everybody stood on their chairs and cheered. I think they're applauding more for the fact that they think they haven't lost their money than they are applauding for Van Gogh. That was my rather cynical view at the time. So the auction hall added a 10% commission to the purchase price. Christie sent the buyer a bill for over $82.5 million. And on this night, they made about 300 million in total. Who in the world was willing to pay such an enormous price for a painting? How did you celebrate your goal from the 15th May of 1990? Oh, Lord. <laughs> That's a terrible question. <laughs> yeah, how do I put this politely for the younger ones? I don't think we were ever allowed back in that restaurant again. 2,500,000. I wonder if tonight, in 2019, there will be as much to celebrate. And we move to lot number 15, which is the Antwerp Van Gogh painting, showing here on the screen. Lot number 15 is called. Finally, it's the Van Gogh's turn. The painting is expected to go for between 8 and 12 million pounds. There has to be a bit of at least 6 million. An employee places the golden frame painting on a stand next to the lectern and the bidding starts at five million pounds. The auctioneer's eyes start from left to right at the hats of the audience. It all goes pretty quickly, 
A few art dealers on their phones raise their hands. In less than one minute, the price rises and then stagnates at 5.8 million pounds. The hall becomes restless. Last chance. Gone. No one wants to pay more than that. The painting won't be sold. At least this time, Van Gogh won't bear the blame for a few rowdy art dealers causing mayhem in a restaurant. I am surprised no one was willing to bid more for this Van Gogh. I mean, it's Van Gogh. The art dealer's waiting lists for his paintings are usually very long. I tell art market and Van Gogh expert Stefan Kolderhoff my thoughts. Also man darf nicht davon ausgehen, dass jedes Van Gogh-Bild automatisch auch ein gutes Bild ist. Well, you can't assume that every Van Gogh-Painting is a good painting. Er war Autodidakt, er hat sich vieles selbst beigebracht. He was self-taught and tried out many different things, especially in his early years in Holland. He portrayed an infinite amount of farmers because he couldn't afford to pay any professional models. And this piece that was a sale at Christie's was just one of those test pieces. It featured a prostitute from Antwerp who he had painted many times. He tried to see whether he could paint a profile portrait and then printed it up a bit with a red hairband. And the painting was extremely overpriced. It would have been 8 to 12 million pounds with taxes. That piece isn't worth that kind of money. Van Gogh simply made some bad pieces. And those who have the money to spend on a Van Gogh also know when they're spending too much for one. How do you recognize a good or a bad Van Gogh? Well, there are specific formal criteria. How does he arrange color? How does he use light? How does he manage the proportions? Does he have a lot to correct? The execution plays a role. The state of preservation plays a role. The idea of the painting plays a role. And, of course, specific to the art market, who previously owned it. A Van Gogh whose previous owner was Errol Flynn or Elizabeth Taylor, or that was owned by a prominent collector family, is certainly worth more due to the provenance alone. Why is it so important to know where a piece of art has been displayed? The art market loves stories, and when they hear these stories, like that of Elizabeth Taylor, who was often ill and couldn't live without her Van Gogh, and thus always had it hanging in her hospital room, and she couldn't even be without it when she was on her yacht. So this picture of a mental institution in Saint-Rémy, which is, by the way, a very beautiful picture, was bolted onto the wall of her yacht. So this enhances the value because it's a nice story that the new owner could tell about the picture. And well, when it's belonged to Elizabeth Taylor or the collector family Mendelssohn in Berlin before the war, it must be a good piece. Otherwise, they wouldn't have bought it. Is this really a rule, or does the theory sometimes prove wrong? Well, there was a time in the 80s, early 90s, when there was a big boom that was prompted by the Japanese art market in particular. During that time, any Van Gogh could be sold. And Gachet, which was clearly an excellent Van Gogh, was sold during that time. But the question remains, to whom? The bidder was an art dealer from Tokyo, someone that Christopher Burge and his colleagues didn't expect. He was commissioned by someone else to bid. After the auction press all over the world reported on the record-breaking sale, the buyer behind it all was not revealed until four days later. 
He was 74-year-old Ryoei Saito, owner of a paper factory in Japan. Saito purchased not only Dr. Gachet, but also Renoir's Moulin de la Galette at Sotheby's just two days later for $78.1 million. He even gave interviews and was quoted by the New York Times. They wrote, Mr. Saito, who is regarded as one of the wealthiest men in Japan, said it was no big deal to pay $160.6 million for the two works and added that he had borrowed against his company's land holdings to finance the purchases. Saito was even quoted as saying he had been willing to pay $100 million for each piece. The economy ceases to grow. The sale of the portrait of Dr. Gachet was to some extent the last hurrah. A year later, the evening auction made 20 million. So the market had fallen from 300 million to 20. It absolutely collapsed. The fact that the portrait of Dr. Gachet made it to Japan of all places is highly ironic. Van Gogh yearned to visit Japan and Japanese art had very much inspired his own work. But because this masterpiece actually traveled to Japan, the painting has become an object of interest and longing, as the painting hasn't been seen on public display since. Do you know where the picture is actually? I can't answer that question. <clears throat> But there is one clue. He had a, a large loan from Sotheby's. So Sotheby's handled most of the uh, sales. I, I handled a few of them. Um, but Sotheby's handled the resale of this painting. Okay. Is And also the uh, Gachet painting. That's what I was talking about. Finding van Gogh is a podcast series by the Städte Museum in Frankfurt in collaboration with Jakob Schmidt and myself, Johannes Nichelmann. If you like, you can support us by recommending Finding van Gogh simply by leaving us a rating in your podcast platform or telling your friends about us. In the final episode, we'll get into some very private matters. 